Thank you so much for joining us today. You're listening to Coryton Cast, the official podcast of Coryton Church. At the final judgment, we see a book of life with names inside of it. Will yours be in it? You're listening to the second half of Dr. Rocky Ramsey's message about the final judgment in Revelation 20. What does it mean for unbelievers to have their names blotted out of the book of life? So it means this, from the foundation of the world, which is before you were born, which was before man was created, the all-knowing eternal God perfectly knew every detail of time and space history, even before it began. There's verses in the Old Testament that says, you know uh, the beginning from the, or the end from the beginning. Why? Because he's eternal, because he's all-knowing. He knew who would be before anyone even was. Did you get that? When God hadn't created the earth, he knew every person who would ever live. He knew who would be before anyone ever was. He knew who would be his before any of us ever were. So that's why it talks about in the foreknowledge of God, God knew us. Before God even created planet Earth, he knew all of time and space history and beyond. So he knew that he was gonna make me someday, he was gonna save me someday, he knew what I would do in my life, he knows how I'm gonna die. God knew everything we would ever think, say, and do before we even existed. Gives whole new meaning to God so loved the world, doesn't it? God told Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5 that he knew him and had a plan for Jeremiah's life even before Jeremiah physically existed. So that's why I say we all began as a dream in God's heart. Why? Because there wasn't a biological thing that happened between a man and a woman and there, therefore there's a child that God picks up the story then. No, the story starts with God and a child. And God puts that child in the womb of a woman and uses a man and woman to do it. Does this make sense? John 3.16 tells us that God loves the world, everyone he created. 1 Timothy 2.1 tells us that his desire is that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3.9 says that God doesn't wish for any to perish but for all to come to repentance. 1 John 2.2 says that Jesus is the propitiation for the sins of the world. Romans 6.10, 2 Corinthians 5.14 and 15, and 1 Peter 3.8 all tell us that Jesus died for all. And in the Greek, the word all means everyone. So put all this together, and here's what you come up with. God desires for all men to be saved. He voted, if you will, for you to be saved. How did he do that? He put your name in the book. Before you were even born, your name was in the book. He's voted for you to be saved. The enemy of your soul votes for you not to be saved. Guess who gets to cast the deciding vote? Each of us. We say yes to God or we say no. How do we know that God's voted for your salvation? Because he put your name in his book 
Even before you began as a dream in his heart, before you were even a fetus, if you choose to give your life back to the Lord and follow Christ, your name remains in the book of life where it has been from the foundation of the world. You tracking with me? And if, if and when you cross the line, you reject your last opportunity to say yes to God, then your name gets erased or blotted out of the book of life. And I need to tell you, that isn't just at death. Everybody's got X number of chances. And when your X is up, you're done. That's when a person goes reprobate. At that point, there's no way you could convince them of Jesus. They're past it. They're never gonna get it again. Their opportunity is gone. They're blotted out. So the book, the book of life, contains the names of Christ followers. Now, number four, still talking about what we learn in this passage, Great White Throne. At death, unbelievers are separated from God, all that he has and all that he is. They're separated from God, all that he has, all that he is. Look in your outline at the verse we read a moment ago, Matthew 25, 41. Jesus said to those who did not do for him what they should have done, who committed the sins of omission, depart from me, accursed ones, don't miss this, into the eternal fire which was prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was never meant for anyone. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. You say, but what about when, before Jesus came? That's what all the sacrifices were. Even back to uh, uh, the Garden of Eden where the scarlet thread begins. God slays an animal. There's a substitutionary death that covers his sin and shame and gives him clothes. Notice it wasn't, the hell wasn't intended for people. God doesn't want anybody to go there. Jesus died so you wouldn't have to go there. I put this in your outline. God never sends anyone to hell. Hell is where lost people get what they thought they wanted which was for God to leave them alone. Now, tonight's message is a big one. What I'm talking about right now is huge. Because if you talk to people about the Lord, they're gonna say, well, how could a loving God send people to hell? The answer is, well, he never has. A loving God sent his son to hell so you wouldn't have to go there. But a loving God who's not gonna violate your will will allow you to go to hell if you reject him. Heaven is where every good thing is because every good thing comes from God who is good. Hell is where God isn't. If God isn't there, there, then there's nothing good there. Why? Because everything good comes from God. Everything beautiful comes from God. Everything desirable comes from God. Hell is the absence of all that is good. It's the absence of light, so it's dark. It's the absence of comfort, so it's fire. It's agonies says in the Lazarus Rich Man story. Uh, hell is the absence of righteousness. It's the absence of love. It's the absence of beauty. It's the absence of relationships. People are not gonna go to hell and have a big party. You know, I'd rather uh, laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. No, the rich man in hell, he never mentions anybody. All he can think of is he doesn't want his brothers to have to come to this horrible place. There'll be no laughter in hell. There'll be no joy in hell. There'll be no pleasure in hell. You understand that the devil can't create pleasure. 
Everything the devil gets you to see and what he does is he takes some, something that God, uh, you know, like, like sex, let's just use that for the easiest example. Uh, what he does is he takes something good that God has made and he perverts it. And now something that was right has become wrong. Something that was good has become bad. He can't invent pleasure. There'll be no pleasure there. There'll be no fun there. At death, unbelievers are separated from God, all that he has and all that he is. Now, this is hard for us to swallow, but listen closely. I believe in the end, this is exactly how we'll all think. In the end, everyone gets what he deserves and ends up where he should be. In the end, everybody gets what he deserves and everybody ends up where he should be. Now, some of you are wrestling with the deserves thing. He said, well, we don't deserve to be saved. On one case, we don't, but we do because we've trusted Christ and given our lives to him. We're falling. Have we earned it? No. But in that sense of using that word, we have. But here's the deal. How many of you think God is up in heaven fretting over the people who've gone to hell? You think he's got a poor self-image because he's failed? Of course not. He's God. And everybody who ends up in hell should have and belongs there. Even if it's one of our mates, even if it's one of our children, grandchildren, parents, in the end, real justice will have been served. God isn't gonna be up in heaven and go, oh, I missed one, we gotta go get him. No. Now, we wrestle with that because that's how unlike God we are. At death, unbelievers are separated from God. All that he is, all that he has. Now, turn your outline over. The great white throne judgment is the judgment of unbelievers with, with their deeds being the evidence against them. What they did that they should not have done and what they didn't do that they should have done is the proof that they weren't who they were supposed to be. It's the proof of who they really were. You know, adultery. If somebody commits adultery, they commit adultery. But if you commit adultery and adultery and adultery and adultery and adultery, you're an adulterer. Surprise, surprise. They committed, they messed up and did some act of immorality. That's different from somebody who does it over and over and over again. That's an immoral person. The person who doesn't stop is an immoral person. Jesus could not be their savior because he never was the Lord. Who we are shows. Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 37. Write this down. I don't think it's in your outline. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you'll be condemned. Now why does he say that? Jot down Matthew 12, 34. Uh, there and in Luke 6, 45, two different conversations, he says this, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. What comes out of your mouth reveals who you are. What you do with your life reveals who you are. And so these sins revealed who they were. Now turn your outline over and let's talk about the judgment that believers will face. It's not in this passage, but obviously it's something we need to address to, to, to see both sides. As believers, we will not be in the great white throne judgment. We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 
We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, under that, I've got three things that the Bible clearly teaches concerning our relationship with God. Number one, we're saved by faith in Christ's work. We're saved by faith in Christ's work. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by the work he did. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace, grace meaning you can't earn it, you don't deserve it. You have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not as a result of work so that no one may boast. There's another place where Paul talks about so that all boasting may be in the Lord. So in heaven, we won't go around bragging we were good enough to get here. We'll go around bragging about the one who was good who got us there. Make sense? Grace means I'm getting something I don't, can't earn, don't deserve. My works do not and cannot save me because the standard is to be perfectly righteous like God. And I have no chance of achieving that as a broken sinner. In your outline are two more verses that claim that our good works cannot erase our sin debt and save us. Titus 3, 5. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. Again, what he's telling is, you didn't really deserve it. He did it for you. Galatians 6, 2, 16. A man's not justified by the works of the law, being good, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ, Justified meaning declared not guilty. And not by the works of the law, by being good. Since by the works of the law, being good, no flesh will be justified. Uh, jot down to Psalm chapter 130, verse 3. And there the psalmist says, Lord, oh, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? If you held all our sins against us, we're all goners, he's saying. Listen closely. The law was never given to save us. The law was given to show us we had to have a savior. The law wasn't given to save us, it was given to show us we had to have a savior. The law is full of all these sacrifices that are pictures of Jesus, in particular Day of, Day of Atonement, but all the rest of them. Galatians 3.22 says, the scripture has shut up everyone under sin. In other words, we're all sinners. And then verse 24 says that the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. If you remember the, uh, when Jesus was talking to the guy called the rich young ruler, he came and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Of course, Jesus knows who he is, knows, knows everything about him, knows his God is money. And so Jesus says, uh, keep the commandments and he rattles off a few. All those commandments he rattles off are manward commandments. Go look at them. They're not the first four, which are God pointed toward God. They're the last ones. You know, don't, don't commit adultery, you know, don't covet, those, those kind. And if you remember, he said, I've kept all these from my youth. Now, had he understood what they really meant, he would have said, I've broken all these from my youth. Because remember what Jesus did, he came around and he changed what they, all that meant. You've heard that it's said you shall not commit adultery. I say to you, if you look on a woman to lust for her, you've committed adultery. 
You've heard that you shall not murder. Well, I've never murdered anybody. But I say to you, if you've had hate in your heart toward a man, you've murdered him. Anybody in this room never had one, had never one time had hate toward somebody? We probably all have, haven't we? So the truth is, if we understand the commandments, we've broken them all. So Jesus is just kind of toying with me. He says, he says, well, I've kept those from you. And Jesus said, one thing you lack, just go sell everything you have and come follow me. See, Jesus could have started there, but he kind of messed with him a little bit. Because he knew what that, that man's God was his money. And so the man walked away sad. And listen, watch this. Don't miss this. Jesus let him walk. Jesus let him walk. He didn't go after him. Didn't go try to cut a, cut a lesser deal so the guy would jump aboard. He let him walk. The fact is that we're not saved by our words, but our words reflect who we are. We're not saved by our works. Our works reflect who we are. We're not saved by our obedience. Our obedience reflects who we are. Right after you're saved by grace through faith, not of works, it's a gift so that nobody would boast. Ephesians 2.10 says that we're created for good works which God prepared beforehand, before you were even born, that we're supposed to walk in. Four things the Bible teaches about believers I have there in your outline. Number one, believers know Christ. John 17, 3 tells us that eternal life is knowing Christ. It's not missing hell. It's not hidden heaven. It's not having your sins forgiven. It's knowing Christ. John 10, 4 says that God's people know his voice and follow him. Number two, believers are changed by Christ. They're changed by Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says that those who are in Christ have become new people, new creatures, creations. In Matthew 7, 20, Jesus said that you'll know people by their fruits. In other words, who you are and what you are shows. Now, you might be able to fake some people off, fool some of the people some of the time. You can fool yourself, but you can't fool God. The third thing about believers, believers follow Christ. John 10, 27, Jesus, Jesus said that his sheep know him and follow him. If I don't follow him, I don't really know him. If I don't really know him, I don't have eternal life. Doesn't matter how many times I went down, doesn't matter if I prayed crocodile tears, doesn't mean if I have uh, got baptized in the meantime, my skin puckered. It doesn't matter. If I know him, I follow him. And then number four, believers obey him. They obey him. In Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said that those who did the will of his Father in heaven were the ones who would go, would go to heaven. In verse 23, he said those going to hell are those who, who didn't. Instead, they lived lawless lives. What's a lawless life? A lawless life is one in which you just do as you please. You make up the rules, you decide what's okay. Professing faith is not the evidence of actually possessing faith. Obedience is. See, most people in America, anyway, we think we can make any deal with God we want to make. If I think God is like this, that's what he's like. No. Somebody just recently said, uh, I'm just doing online church, I've, uh, and I think, and I'm okay with it. And I'm, I'm a nice guy, but I want to go, 
I guess since you're okay with it, you assume God is. That's a bad assumption. The Bible says, in fact, the verse says, if we go on sinning willfully after having received knowledge of truth, there's nothing to expect but a terrifying judgment. That's right after the verse that says, tells us to gather together as believers. But the point is, we just, everybody thinks they can make their own deal. I did that, that's enough. I do this, that's enough. That's why Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do this, that, and the other? Produces a real hefty list there. Jesus said, I never knew you. We're saved by faith in Christ's work. We did the sinning, he did the saving. We can't solve our problem because we are our problem. We don't need some help. We've got to be rescued. We need somebody to do something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. We need a savior. And that's Jesus. We're saved by faith in his work. Now, number, number two. So first thing is, uh, that we see here is that believers know, know Christ. Number two, we are not punished for our sin. We are not punished for our sin. Listen to the words of Isaiah 53, 5 to 6, 10 and 12. Speaking of Jesus, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. By his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He's the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. Verse 10, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. Why? If... He would render himself as a guilt offering. And if he would, he will see his offspring. That's us. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great. Speaking of Jesus, he will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death, was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for transgressors. In your outline, look at 1 Peter 3, 18. There it says, Christ died for sins once for all, one time for everybody, the just for the unjust. Now what you see here in all these verses is that Jesus is the one who was punished for our sins. Since Jesus was punished for our sins, we don't have to be. Justice has been served. Jesus paid it all. If we pay, had to pay for our sins, if we got punished, then it would be an injustice. Why? Because justice has already been done. Make sense? We're not punished for our sin at the judgment seat of Christ. Christ was punished for our sin. Now, number three. Oh, by the way, we are, you know, we do reap what we sow. We do uh, get disciplined by the Lord. In fact, Galatians 6, 7 says that we reap what we sow. Hebrews 12, 6 to 11 says that God uh, disciplines his children when they sin, but he doesn't punish his children. Jesus took our punishment. We're not punished for it. We're disciplined or corrected. Now, number three, last of all, we are rewarded for our works. 
And that's what the judgment seat of Christ is about. We're re rewarded for our works. Look at these verses in your outline. 1 Corinthians 3.8 says, Each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So everyone will get something from God based on what that person did. Revelation 12, 22, 12, there in your outline. Jesus says at the end, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to render to each man according to what he has done. And then again, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, we just read a moment ago. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. If you didn't do good, you don't get the rewards. It says in 1 Corinthians, is it chapter 3, where you can be saved as though by fire, but you don't have any reward in heaven because you built your life on hay and stubble. Now, listen closely and we're done. The Bible doesn't make it crystal clear how we're going to be rewarded. But the Bible makes it absolutely crystal clear that we will be. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 19, 21, that they would have treasure in heaven if they followed him. In Matthew 6, 20, he told us to lay up treasures in heaven. In Luke 18, 29 to 30, Jesus said that whatever we give up for him here, we'll receive back many times over in heaven. Matthew 25 in the parable of the talents talks about being rewarded by being put in charge of many things. So these are just a few. Then there's all these New Testament verses that talk about we'll receive these crowns. So we're not crystal clear on exactly how we'll be rewarded, but definitely that we will be. God is no man's debtor. Whatever you do for him, he will ex exponentially do for you. So it talks about like in, in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 9, is it, where he says, uh, he sows sparingly will reap sparingly, he sows bountifully reap bountifully. He says in Luke 6, is it verse 32, given will be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over into your lap. Uh, for the measure you deal out to others, it'll be dealt to you in return. In other words, he, both those verses, he's telling us that what we get from him is in part determined by what we do for him or give to him. Another uh, phase of rewards. Whatever we do for life here ends. It's over when this life ends. So you make a lot of money, you can leave your kids, but for as far as you're concerned, it's over. Build a building, it's gonna rot someday. Whatever we do for his kingdom, not only will last forever, but it'll benefit us throughout eternity. Because in eternity, we're gonna reap what we've sown while we were here. In the next episode of the Revelation series, we're finally home. Tune in to hear Dr. Rocky Ramsey's teaching on heaven based on John's description in Revelation 21 and 22. What is heaven like? Join us to find out. Again, thank you so much for joining us today. You're listening to Corrington Cast, the official podcast of Corrington Church. If you have any questions at all, visit us online at CorringtonChurch.com or drop us a message or comment on social media. We're at Corrington Church. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and we pray God's richest blessings on your life. Give us a rating, hit subscribe, and have a fantastic day.